It's the Steve Sears Summer Tour 2022. Live from Ellis Island Casino in the front yard. Here's your hosts, Steve Cofield, Adam Hill, and Steve Sear. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful, right. beautiful. So we're now back Naz. here. We were live the whole time. Steve's here. Is oh, with us. Directing Thank you for putting Zoe Bowie is here with us as well. This is one of our favorite spots in town. Ellis Thank Island. you for putting up with me. Steve's here. Summer tour. Naz will be up here. He's going to sit down with us in a couple of minutes. We'll tell you all about him and that rendition he just did. Very Hendrix-like. Yes. Of the National Anthem. So he, what's up, buddy? Uh, thank you, man. You know, Naz has done that before at the Aviator game, and uh, it, was, uh, it was really cool just to go to the sound check, and all the ball players were out there. All the ball players were out there um, asking him to sing. Hello. There he is. There we Steve go. Okay, on. okay, good. Anyway, no, uh, you know, it's been years, Cofield, since we've done the uh, Steve Sears Summer Tour, and uh, we'll have some other announcements at the end of the show. But, uh, yeah, we did Bikini Ping Pong back in the day, Bikini Tug of War. We've been at Sapphires. But how great is the front yard? We didn't do a Bikini Front Yard today, huh? No, no. <laughs> no, no. It, this is my square job, so i got to be good here, you know. But uh, anyway, but I love it. But I love that we have. Two, two real legends. I mean, you know, Zoe Bowie, uh, we met, we just figured out, in 2005. Is that right, Chris? That is correct. Uh, you took pity on this poor kid from Scottsdale, Arizona. <laughs> and yeah. he said, you know, you pity. need to come to Vegas, my friend. No, I mean. <laughs> How did it come together? Okay, so. A uh, couple of cocktails, you know. <laughs> no, no. One, one night I was a little drunk, uh, and I went to meet a girl in Phoenix, and she took me to this bar, and I saw this act and he came out and did frank sinatra and then he went into hip-hop and rock and i was like he is so good and so i contacted his manager and I, this is a true story steve i said listen if you'll come up and play a free show and i'd ask others to do that i go i'm gonna have the vice presidents from station casinos there they're building a new thing called red rock casino and i said you should be there and chris did the show 
I had all casino hosts there, and a lady named Stacy Colombo that night looked at me and said, we're going to build, build a theater for Zoe Bowie. And Am I right? Epic. And they did. It's and unbelievable. Go, it's, a, it's amazing the power of Steve Sue. No, no, no. <laughs> Listen, flattery will get you everywhere. Okay. But, no, but really, it, it was like three months later, he's on billboards everywhere. It, it was quite It was amazing, right? Well, uh, long story short, my whole life I dreamt of coming to Las Vegas to be that Vegas guy because I was so inspired by my heroes of the 70s and 80s coming here. Instead of going to Disneyland, my parents brought me here to see Don Rickles at the Sahara, you know. And so I always wanted to be the Vegas guy. And so my whole life I tried to, you know, do what I had to do to put a show together that I thought would be appropriate for this town. And then once meeting you, uh, actually we saw you on the E! channel, Mr. Big Time. They did a special on you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we thought, man, if we could just contact that guy, we'd be going somewhere. And your manager did. But uh, I uh, I know I should know the story, but how did we get to Zoe? Is uh, it from, like, David Bowie? You know, it's a kind of a ridiculous story. I was a long-haired heavy metal drummer for about 10 years. (laughs) Really? But during that whole time, I always dreamt of being my idols, which was, you know, Tom Jones and Sammy Davis and, of course, Elvis and Frank. And so uh, not until I was almost 30 years old, I had a, a friend of mine that was in an 80s band that said, hey, our singer's sick. Would you want to fill in? I know you want to be a singer. So I, in complete fear of making a fool out of myself, I pretended to be David Bowie's kid, Zoe Bowie. Oh, wow. Hence the name. Yeah. Uh, so I hid behind that character. Uh, I got on stage, did the show. At that point, I cut my hair, sold my drums, and said, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And since that day, uh, for, for exactly 28 years now, I haven't had a week off. Wow. Uh, we've been playing ever since. But it was Steve, like I said, that brought us here and made our dreams come true in an amazing way. Because when we came into town, I mean, we were, I don't, it, it seems so easy. But then I, I came to learn very soon thereafter that that was a very rare and special set of circumstances that, uh, you know, the Fertitas uh, were kind enough to do for us. Uh, and, and since then, we, we were there at Red Rock for 13 years. I've now been a. Uh, a show out on the Fremont Street Experience going on 14 years. As of next year, we just got signed on for another year. Uh, so I'm trying to keep this train rolling as long as possible. And so if that wasn't enough weird coincidence with Steve Sear uh, bringing us here, uh, fast forward 15 years, 16 years, Steve calls and says, hey, I got this, this great new show that just started at the new hotel called Virgin. It's the hottest show out of L.A. It's called 27. And it's a show based around the fact that there was a lot of huge, famous, uh, iconic rock stars that all passed at 27 years old, yeah. one of which was Jimi Hendrix. Yep. So I saw this incredible show with this lineup of amazing talent, and out comes Jimi Hendrix. And this guy blew me and the audience away. I was just, not, not just because he was great at Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> but just as a performer himself, you know, because... No offense, but a gimmick of a tribute artist goes away in about five minutes. Then, then you become yourself up there. And can you hold your, can you hold your own at that point? That's a good point. Five minutes yeah. into it, I wasn't even thinking about Jimmy Hendrix. I was like, who is that guy up there? <laughs> Lo and behold, because of the show, a couple months later, I had the opportunity to need a new guitar player for some situations. And I thought, man, if we could just get that dude from 27, we called him up. <laughs> I was like, bro, yeah, my name is Zoe Wowie Bowie, whatever. He goes, dude, I know who you are. He goes, come and play. So long story short, he is now part of our show on a weekly basis out on the Fremont Street Experience on Thursday nights, and I couldn't be more happy to have him aboard. And, and isn't it is it amazing? Up- it's just, I mean, I've it's seen weird how things rock come down there. You have, you have tens of thousands of people. I mean, Fremont's a really good 
cool place to play, right? I mean, the vibe, the energy, right, we, guys? It makes you feel it's, like a rock star, you know? It's, it's, it's incredible, and the sound's incredible, and it's incredible to play with this guy because he puts on a show, and I'm actually learning watching him. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and the first show, I was a little shy. The second show, I was loosening up. And then the third show, I, it feels, I feel really comfortable. And <laughs> it's great. No, and I'm the, learning from him. Yeah, he's, well, we all learn, man. But, but, um, but when I first yeah. met you, Chris, I thought you were more Frank Sinatra-ish. Well, you know, that's my passion, my true love, and, and what I was raised on. Okay. But then something happened in 1980 that changed my life and kept me from going to college. And that was uh, seeing David Lee Roth pop out of the gate with Van Halen, 1980. Yeah. That, uh, everything, you know, all yeah. bets were off on college at that point. Okay. It's really good. So it's a combination of Sinatra and David Lee Roth. I and guess. so what nights can people come see you guys now on Fremont? Well, we're there. Uh, we, like I say, we're going to our 14th year every Thursday and Saturday. And you can see my man Nas on Thursdays. I'll okay. be there Thursday. And are you yeah. at the stage by the D? That is correct. Okay, because that's cool because they have a little skybox there and everything. Yeah. Derek yep. Stephen makes it really yeah. nice. Yeah. Among other things we do with town, but that's, that's, that's an ongoing thing. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> How much has your show changed in roughly 20 years in Vegas? Well, I have considerably more wrinkles. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but we all, we all have wrinkles, right? But how much does it change? Because obviously you, uh, you you've know, grown uh, and new songs come out. And sure, we're kind of a victim of the, the, the top 40 charts when it comes to that side of my show. And then yeah. Steve pointed out the fact that I'm a Sinatra fan, so I have a completely different show called Zoe Bowie's Supper Club Show, which is a full-scale vintage Vegas throwback show with horns and beautiful showgirls that are designed really? by my wife, Jennifer. Uh, and that's, that's a very authentic classic Vegas experience that we get to do like the Italian American Club which one of I love the Italian coming, American coming up, Club coming up this Sunday as a matter of fact beautiful yeah so are you uh, are either one of you guys sports fans you follow and especially since Vegas I mean again how much Vegas has changed for all of us now we've got two major league teams here well I think that uh, I, I speak, go ahead speak with, yeah. well, I don't want to speak for you but uh, I'm, a, I'm a tremendous fan of Las Vegas as Steve knows and to see the addition of pro sports coming to town to add that much more excitement it puts us on the international stage even more so uh you know because now I, all eyes are on vegas not just for the entertainment capital of the world but it's becoming kind of the sports capital of the world good point sports betting capital of the world for sure good point point. and so you know all we needed is, is a little more traffic so that really helped <laughs> but yeah i grew up in the bay area oh, and okay. i yeah. grew up around pretty much next to oakland and san leandro so the raiders were you know the biggest thing there um, to be honest with you, when I was younger, I loved uh, Joe Montana. Okay. I liked the Niners and Joe Montana. And Don't Steve be shy Young. about it. Yeah, I'm being, yeah, <laughs> this I love counter transplants. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, Not I, everyone here is a Raiders fan. I loved it, man. <laughs> and I had the game and everything. And so it's cool, man, moving to Vegas. I love Vegas. Like he was saying, I loved it. And then to see the Raiders here, and I heard even maybe the A's might come here, which is Good. another boom for yep. me. I'm like, is that well, what, what possible? Is that possible. Yeah. I, I think we have a better shot at NBA because there's a an arena yeah. project with a lot of money behind be it rad. and real players. Yeah. They're going to try to build a, another arena, 20,000-seat arena down on LB Boulevard. Another by, one? Yes. Oh oh, God. How whole many multi. arenas do we need? The money's behind it. they got like $3 billion behind it. Well, there you go. It's uh, guys who you know used to be with uh, Foley and used to be with the Raiders, so Mark Bedane is part of it. When you guys – I know you played the Aviators. Yep. Um, I often think when you're a Vegas performer and you're an accomplished performer, when you get to do, say, the National Anthem, and perform at you know in a big arena or at Allegiant. Right. What is that like? Man, uh, I'll tell you this. It's before you get on. It's pretty nerve-wracking. You're going, man. What if something goes wrong? You know, as as a guitar player, you know your strings can go, the amp can go off. <laughs> you know, it's happened. Um, but once you're on there, 
that goes away. You just, you completely let go and you're fully in the moment. There's nothing like that. Now as a singer, I know vocalists have done it. That's harder because you have to remember some words. And if you're nervous in any way, your voice will, yeah. you'll choke. Oh, it's, it's don't, you, don't you get it, do you get it back a yeah. little bit too? Well, you it's, the, it's, the, the it's frightening, as you can imagine. The first time I ever sang the national anthem was at a live NBA game between the Suns and the Bulls. <laughs> no way. I had Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan staring at me. Live on TV. And, of course, I screwed it up. Did you really? I, a little, just, just enough for them to just blast me on sports talk radio the next oh, day. Boy. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you remember about five years ago, Fergie tried to oh. do a different version of the national anthem <laughs> at an all-star game oh my god that was that yeah. didn't go well and i mean they got they had nba players kind of like holding back laughing try not to laugh it's it was, hard it's hard though it was a warriors game wasn't it no i think it was, it was the, i think it was the all-star you know, maybe it wasn't yeah, i remember seeing uh you know curry trying to hold back his laughs or yeah. something yeah <laughs> it was yeah interesting not good art not good. art is difficult you know you always have to reinvent yourself and who knows what she was trying you know and so, but, so Naz, uh, are you going to live in Nevada now forever? When I met you, you were a transplant, but are you going to be in Nevada? Or I, I feel like I found my place, man, to be honest with you. It just feels right here. I love the people here. I love how everything's just flowing. I'm swimming downstream here, so <laughs> if it ain't broke, like don't that. fix it. I like swimming downstream. Yeah, so, so Thursday, Saturdays, uh, downtown Fremont. That is correct. Right? And then where else can we catch you guys? Yeah. Um, well, he has his own incredible he's got band. His own, he's got yeah, his I got own. a band called Mojo Juju. We play it a lot at the Cosmopolitan, a place called the Barber Shop, and we're there on this Sunday actually for um, um, the holiday, and then also Fridays and some Mondays. You nice. know, Steve, yeah. it's a real barber shop. Have you ever been there? No. You got to get out more. I have no hair. It's okay, not really so, worth well, anything. So spend <laughs> a whole lot of time. Yeah. No, no, in, in the Cosmo, it's a real barber shop. Okay. And if you don't know, you'll just—I mean, there's chairs and they're doing, you know shaves and and guys hair and then there's a back door that says janitors and when you walk in it's about half as big as this and there's a stage and it's the coolest speakeasy speakeasy, right ever ever it's awesome i can't believe i've been there i know bruno mars was there the other night he went on stage and yep yep bruno mars i I thought that was a rumor that no no, he was there yeah and we've played anderson pack's been there a couple times you see a lot of uh, a lot of country singers will come sing with us and it's a good vibe. It's, it, really it's like cool a really beer. expensive living room, I tell people. And, <laughs> it is. You know, because the beer is 20 bucks. So, like, bring the credit card. Other yeah. than that, but it's really And cash cool. to tip us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get the nice tips. So, so, do you put a bucket out on oh, the, yeah, the skirt? You do? Of course, yeah. yeah. That's, the, that's the whole thing of the barbershop with the booker. He goes, you put your, your bucket here, and, you know, you have guys that come in there and Put a couple grand in there and go, hey, man, play me some Leonard Skinner. And you're like, sure, man. You know, play it all night long. <laughs> so, guys, we're, uh, we're up against it. We're going to come back. Yeah. Steve's okay. going to be joined by uh, Randy Couture, Zoe Bowie, Naz. We totally appreciate you coming on, coming out to the uh, front yard. We'll send it back to the studio and come back out here to Ellis Island on a Wednesday. Ellis Island Casino, home of $5 microbrews every day and all-you-can-drink packages during NFL games. The Steve Sears Summer Tour 2022 continues from Ellis Island Casino. The Natural! As far as I'm concerned, it is definitely my favorite fight and, and one, certainly one of my all-time bets. Randy Your wish is granted, Steve's here. You told me this is your walkout song. Let's turn Steve up. 
He always gets Jeremy to play it for him, and Jeremy does a great job yeah. on the song. We got Check you, Steve. Okay, yeah. There he is. Yeah, no, you know, when I first started my little boxing career, I used to come down like ACDC, and I would get too high strung, and my coach was like, no, no, no more of that, or Judas Priest. It's like, well, what song like can you really jam and get vibe to? And I'm like, groove. use me. <laughs> and, 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 and I've, 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 Randy, I'm, I'm way off subject here, but Randy's given me some good advice. After one fight, I just, I didn't have it. And he called me and we talked a little bit and he goes, Steve, don't fight unless you're excited. He goes, I don't want you to be nervous and more excited. And this was maybe like 10, 15 fights ago. Yeah. I don't remember. It's just changing that frame around that situation. And, and nervousness implies something negative is going on. And the, even if you lost the fight, the world's not ending. The sun's coming up tomorrow. But people that really love Steve aren't going anywhere. And finding that frame to put around that that's positive, that's not negative, I'm excited about fighting. I've worked hard for this moment to go out and show everybody what I've done. And this is kind of where he was struggling. He, was, he just wasn't feeling yeah. it. He was getting nervous. And I'm like, no, let's change that thought process. And, and I've won my last six now. I'm the over 55 national champion. Pretty good. Yeah. So really I, good. I, I fought in March <laughs> again. And so it's funny how just from another fighter, and that's why sometimes sports announcers, not you, I get a little upset when they try to analyze because unless you had your ass on that seat and gotten your ass kicked in front of your friends, you do not know that feeling. Yeah. I agree. I agree. No, <laughs> right? we're, we're, I'm, yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to be a jerk. No, we're, at, just... we're out of turn often. We're out of turn often. Uh, the more I get the chance, the more I get a chance now to, I'm doing a lot of stuff with UNLV and I get to see the games up close and, and travel with the teams and especially mm -hmm. football. I think you have a much better appreciation when you're yeah. on the field and you see the kind of sacrifice guys are making. So Randy Couture is here. We didn't really introduce him except for uh, the rejoin. Steve's here. Here is Ellis Island. Were you ever nervous for an MMA fight ever? That first time. Okay. UFC 13, it was a tournament format. I was fighting twice that night. I hadn't seen those guys. It wasn't like I could pull up film and study them and, and get comfortable with who they were oh, and all that. Good I point. literally showed up, and until I stepped on the scale, and this was in the lobby at the Holiday Inn in Augusta, <laughs> Georgia, I didn't see these guys. I didn't know what they looked like. I didn't know anything about them, and they were both huge. One was 290, the other one was 300. No weight Steve classes? Graham, no, I'm not no. there. Well, actually, UFC 13 was the first show where they had a weight class. Anything under 200 was considered a lightweight. Anything over 200 was considered a heavyweight. Yeah, how about that? And I how was about fighting, those weight classes? I was, I was fighting in, in the heavyweight division. That was Tito's first show. Okay. He fought wow. as an alternate in the lightweight division. And then Ensign Inouye hurt uh, the Iowa wrestler. Got elbowed and, and fractured. Oh, as yeah. Yeah. Who was, go yeah. to the to the final. Royce Alger okay. and, and uh, you know you think I got hit in the head or something for a little bit. And so Tito got the nod to fight Guy Metzger in the final, and that started the whole beef between him and and uh, Ken Shamrock, which led oh, to right. three fights. There was a double bird that came up at the end of that fight, and uh, you know I, won't, I don't even have to tell you who did that. Right, right, right. right. You know, I, I actually asked Randy when I called him, say, "Hey, man, uh, can you do the show?" And he's awesome. He always says yes. I said because uh, uh, I'm more about you know movies and stuff, and we're talking about Expendables four. And I asked him, you know, I've known him forever. I said, well, "Do you get nervous when you you know get, you know they say action on the film?" He goes, "Steve." He goes, they close the cage door. He goes, I don't get nervous when I'm in a movie. <laughs> you know, he, he kind of put it in perspective. Yeah, getting me. punched in the face sets the bar for nervousness pretty damn high. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. what am I going to get nervous about? Nobody's punching me in the face. I'm going to be just fine. But, but when you first started The Expendables, I mean, it's not like you were kind of a rookie actor and you're with Stallone and Absolutely. everybody else. I mean, oh, there had to be something. It Bruce was a Willis. pinch me moment for okay. sure. 
like, what the hell am I doing here? Right. You know, we're all standing around this well in Brazil for one of the first scenes where all of the expendables come together. And we're supposed to go down this well and plant all these bombs around this, this palace. And we're all synchronizing our watches. And even the crew was buzzing because all of these guys come together in one shot. It was just such a unique oh. thing. And, uh, you know, and only Stallone And it just together. got bigger and better every time from then on. I remember being in Plovdiv in, in Bulgaria. And we're getting ready to chase... Jean-Claude Van Damme on a quad shooting him, all of us. And there's like 16 of us by this time in this movie. So I'm standing next to Chuck Norris. You know, Bruce Willis is there. Arnold. Schwarzenegger's there. Me, Stallone. We're all in these tents because it's cold outside. And we're getting geared up to go out and shoot this big shot where we're all shooting at Jean-Claude Van Damme. (laughs) And we're all looking at each other like, this is insane. They were like, what the heck? This is unbelievable. And I I don't want to get off topic, but I've wanted to ask you this forever, you know, uh, just because you're with a lot of ammunition and stuff. You know, the thing that happened where the girl got shot on the movie set. Yes, you're talking about the Alec Baldwin incident. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm curious, like, how did that ever happen? It it should never happen. Okay. I've been on over 65 movie sets now. Almost all of them were action genre. There should never be live ammunition anywhere near a set. And why they were taking a, a prop gun, because most prop guns are live, real guns. They're just either adapted for blanks or they're using them uh, for the look. Oh, I thought it was CG. a gun that was made fake. No, it was a real gun. Okay, And we okay. use a lot of real guns. Uh, they adapt them, you know, plug them up so that the, the gas works for uh, a blank. Okay. Or they use CGI to create... You know, this particular gun, my understanding of what I've read, obviously I wasn't there, so I'm not making a judgment, um, but it sounds like they were at target practicing with this very same gun with live ammunition sometime oh, during that like day. Oh, you mean like on the off day I target? That sometime then, that, oh, actually that oh. same day is what I read. Oh, man. And so that's, I've, I've never heard of that, ever. I don't, I don't know why you would have any live ammunition anywhere around a set with actors that, that are using real guns for their film. That's just crazy to me. At the end of the day, I know my way around. I've spent six years in the Army. I know my way around a weapon. And right. that's why the armors, they, they love guys like me that have some actual experience shooting and doing all that. They're not afraid to hand me that AR or whatever that pistol is. They, and the first thing I'm doing is checking that thing. Right. I want to make sure it's empty and, and, and that it's going to work the way it's supposed to work for what I'm doing. Gotcha. And, uh, and I think therein was the flaw that day. Man, unbelievable, right? Actor. Actor, Randy Couture. No, I know. No, he just Maybe said, we'll get to some fight he stuff just later. Said, he just said 60 films. I mean, aren't you kind of blown away that you've been in that many? Yeah, it is, it is kind of weird. It's been 20 years. My very first feature film was Cradle to the Grave in the early 2000s with Jet Li and DMX. Oh, yeah, I yeah. remember that. Yeah, that was okay. my very first feature film. I had one line in the movie. Oh, wow. You can't say it on ESPN. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> dump button, dump button. Uh, I must have said that one line like 25 times that week. It's seven days to shoot that one little five-minute scene, the underground fight scenes. And me, Chuck, and Tito were all in, in those scenes. And they had Chuck and Tito fight each other, which was funny at that time because oh, wow. they wouldn't fight each other. Right. And that's what ultimately led me to fighting Chuck and Tito at light heavyweight was the fact that, you know, Tito was the champ and, and him and Chuck were supposedly friends and wouldn't fight. So that's, it was really Isn't interesting. Isn't it amazing they how... They did that in the film. 
you, you know, when I was growing up, you know, we had a couple, uh, I hate to say, you know, Asian kids that did Kung Fu. But now, uh, every, I mean, it's just, you, you got to give it. It's just, I mean, the UFC and MMA, it's just so mainstream now, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. No doubt. Yeah, yeah we, I mean, we talked. The 15, Gracie, 15, the Gracie yeah. family absolutely revolutionized martial arts for yeah. the entire planet. All the mysterious one-inch punch stuff and all that stuff kind of went out the window when you could see every given weekend now, you can see real guys fight in a, in a real engagement and really hit each other. And it, it's why I think it's tough to do an MMA movie because we can see live MMA on a, on a weekly right. basis. And how do you simulate that in, in a setting, in a do, film, do and make it look fighting? real? Be honest. Do you miss no. fighting? I got out the right time. I went out on my own terms, which today in athletics huh. I think is a rare occasion. So I, you know, I didn't have some doctor or some promoter telling me I shouldn't do this anymore. Okay. Uh, I was still fighting at a very high level and could have continued to keep grinding out camps and, and, uh, and fighting, but I had to have an honest conversation with myself. I got into this to be the best in the world, and I had to be honest with myself and say, am, am I going to be the best in my weight class and best in the world at this right now? And the honest answer to that question was at 47 years old, no. So what am I doing? Pretty good, am huh? I just cashing checks, and yeah. what am I doing? So yeah. run, run all uh, the way to forty-seven. Yeah, I'm still, years old. I'm still waiting for that pay-per-view deal. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 what are you guys laughing at? No, no. I, I mean, the I'm senior a, tour. I, I'm a prize fighter. I get a prize, you know, and yeah. everything. But uh, you know what? I miss Randy. Is I, my gym mates are my church. I'm not religious, but you know, we have two guys on Showtime now, and they're ranked, and you know that whole camaraderie. Yep. And I know your son was pro and, and runs your gym now. Was it hard for you to watch him fight and win or lose? No, I mean, you know, we started that journey when he started wrestling. In, you know, first, second, third grade, he wrestled in Oklahoma, and then he didn't do it again until he went into junior high school up in, up in Washington, and, and he started wrestling. And, you know, of course, he's going to look to me, uh, and I'm like, look, you got a coach. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy that you love this sport and you want to do this, but I am not coaching you. I'm taking a big step back. I'll be a, your biggest cheerleader. I will be at every match I can be at, but I am not coaching you. If you want my opinion, you're going to have to ask me for it. Otherwise, I'm keeping my mouth shut. And I think his coaches probably appreciated that, <laughs> and it gave us some common ground, and, and it was on his terms. He was walking okay. into that sport because he wanted to do it, not to get my attention, not because I did it, no other reason other than he had a passion for it. And that's basically what I wanted to make sure. It's a tough way to make a living. It's a tough sport to be in. And that transferred to fighting when he decided to fight. And it's got to be fight. tough when your dad's Randy Couture. Well, it's no easy task dragging around that same last name. What amateur kid in his very first fight has seven you know, broadcasters, journalists, that want to interview him before his very first amateur fight? Right. That just doesn't happen. So, uh, yeah, and he just dealt with all that in grace. He took it all in stride. He's just such a smart, great kid. He's way better person than I ever thought he's a great guy. Let's take a time out. We'll come back with Randy Couture, Steve Sear, Adam Hill's going to rejoin us as we're live at Ellis Island. Ellis Island Casino, home of Oktoberfest on September 24th from 5 to 8 p.m. With contests, unlimited Ellis Island beer for three hours, souvenir gifts, and Oktoberfest bites. Wah-wah, I think so. Honestly, Wawa sandwiches is just, I don't know. I, I literally eat one every day for some reason. Back to Ellis Island Casino. Which one's your favorite, yeah? Um, the honey turkey. Oh, you like the meatball? No, 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 no. No? It's Cofield and Company in the front yard. I don't know what was going on there. That was Devontae Smith. 
Second-year player at Alabama, uh, Alabama. Heisman winner, right? I forgot the Heisman like two years later. Uh, with Philly. Loves Wawa. Who doesn't? We usually do our uh, food portion here, the fat pack. But uh, I love the reporter was like, you don't like the meatball. What? He's like, he doesn't like meatball. What are you, you going to do? Everybody has a preference. The beauty of Wawa, as we've talked about many times, is that you get to customize your order yes. without having to worry about the attendant because you do it on a screen. It's, it's a kiosk. Computerized. These are the important things to us. Sadly, yeah. that's what's important to us. So we get worked up about it. It's right? getting good sandwiches. Randy Couture is here with us. <laughs> um, I want to talk fighting in a second, but I wanted to go back to what you were talking about with acting and 60 movies. And I was thinking all those years, whether it's wrestling or MMA, you probably have people come into the gym and you're like, all right, first time with them, you're like, oh, they're good. Like, you could tell they're good. Mm-hmm. How many actors do you work with where you're like, oh, boy, this guy or woman? Like, you're thinking to yourself, holy crap, they're good. Yeah, well, certainly Stallone yeah. uh, is, is amazingly intelligent. Comes up with these one-liners and adjusts dialogue. And, you know, he's written, I mean, everybody knows the, the mythology there from Rocky and Rambo and on down the line. All these scripts he's written. He's an amazing writer. Very smart guy. Just worked with Andy Garcia in Expendables 4. <laughs> he's and decent. he's been in, uh, yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> and he has a ton of dialogue in this film. And just, man, on point, professional you absolutely believe it, which, I mean, at the end of the day, as an actor, you're trying to tell the truth in an imaginary scenario, and he is just, he was remarkable and such a nice guy. So, there again, it's not just about how they perform. It's what kind of person are they, too, on top of that. On the flip side, Randy, I blame you because you made a seamless transition. You were good. I mean, I don't know if you felt right away you were really, you were good. Here we go. But all these other fighters. Here we go. They all think they can do this now. It's not that easy. It's not easy. Uh, it's definitely not easy, and I was certainly misinformed. Everybody thinks it's this glamorous thing, and you know, there's nothing glamorous about this. It's a grind. I mean, we just spent two and a half months in Europe in hotels working you know, 14, 15-hour days, five, six days a week uh, to grind out Expendables 4, and, and you know, it's, it's a mentally and physically challenging task. And, you know, yes, the glamour on the red carpet to go see the finished product. Right. That's the glamour involved. <laughs> the rest of it's a grind. So the mentality and mindset of as an athlete, a wrestler, and a fighter certainly translates to being an actor. So I love talking old fights. So a couple minutes ago, we, we had the rejoin. That was UFC 68. Okay. That was in Columbus. That's yep. when you beat Big Tim. Tim Sylvia. And I was watching some of the highlights afterwards. Rogan had hair. Uh, he also, <laughs> dude, you, Randy, you left him speechless where he was like, he was stumbling and he's like, you just go. And I, that night, I don't know if you remember, when you came out and you landed the first punch, that was one of those fights where I was like, my God, there's like, this is like 18,000 whatever against one. Like, everyone was for you, and poor Tim, like everyone wanted yeah. him to lose. And then you get him early. I, I, I don't know if that mentally jacked him up, but you fought a brilliant fight. Yeah, well, I, I could I practiced that first engagement. That's all you can really do is, is that first contact. What's that first contact going to be? And I've been working with a Muay Thai guy a lot. And, and we studied the tape on Tim, and, and he's kind of knock-kneed and long-levered, and, and he brings that front foot forward to throw that jab every single time. And I obviously have to stay out of the way of that jab. That's his measuring tool. And so I knew if I could stay at kicking range and land that inside kick, that might break his balance, would bring his six-foot-eight head down to maybe six-foot-three. And throw that overhand right, follow with the left hook. And, man, that was my first contact. That was going to get me in the groove, get the momentum rolling my way. And it, it just worked so well. He actually fell down. It surprised me, and I, th- I think it surprised everybody else in the arena. Were you there that night? Uh, I don't yeah. know if you were. Were you? Yeah. Because I think that was, was that the same card as Franklin and Silva? I can't remember who it was. I know Franklin mm. and Silva fought in Columbus. 
And it was, that was another one of those nights I where. that was a year later. Okay. Might have been. That was another one of those nights where that was kind of Silva's coming out party. And it might have been the second fight between them, but it was so yeah. freaking scary because he played. He had that music, and he came out, and he just pulverized. Like, Rich couldn't defend himself. Yeah. And there are some nights where you're like, okay, this is the evolution of the sport yeah. where it just reached another level. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's crazy. He was, uh, yeah. he was so good. Um, you said on – I pulled a video. Uh, you said that was your favorite fight against Sylvia. It but, was. But I would say the end of the fight against Tito – um, where you were spanking him, yeah, that was kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, you can never in a, in a million years imagine ending up in this situation like that with 45 seconds left in the fight. You know, he realized a little desperation in, on his end, and he tried to roll for a knee bar. You know, next to the fence, I was able to slip out far enough where he didn't have a knee bar, but he did have a hold of my ankle. I'm holding his ankles. All I can see is his butt. I don't know why it <laughs> popped into my head, but I start spanking him on the butt. His corner's freaking out. He's tapping. He's tapping. Thankfully, John is refereeing. John knows what he's looking at. He's like, uh, no, I don't think that's what he's doing. Uh, so, you know, it, you, you could never plan that in a million years. It's just one of those things that happened. And to be the Huntington Beach bad boy and then get a spanking in a fight is pretty awesome. I mean, obviously, obviously a great career. And I remember it's got to be more than a decade now writing about a, a fighter – who came out about fighter pay and how bad it was and how it needs to change. I can't remember who that was, Randy, uh, but it has <laughs> it's come. Been more than a decade. It's, it's kind of it's come. It's all fixed. Yeah, it's kind of come full circle. Like, everybody's yeah. kind of screaming the things now that you yeah. were saying a long time ago. It was back in 07 when I was wow. putting heads. With, all right, now I'm feeling old. But, I, I, I heard that story. Well, welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just turned 59. Oh, so, man. Wow. Um, yeah, that was back in 07. Um brought up some issues with the contract and and knew i wasn't being told the truth about several different things <laughs> yeah. so um and, and i got no support literally from anybody yeah. in the sport certainly not the ufc but and, and that's uh, that's what i want to get to though is that you were kind of out on your own like you were you were i mean you had a very big stage but you're on your own then and i've always thought it needs to be a group effort like it needs to be a lot of guys correct. right and we need to get to that point because it's an individual sport we you are the commodity. To... Without the fighters, right. there is no fight. And, and until the fighters, especially the top-tier marquee fighters, are willing to put that on the line and change our sport for everybody, all the ones that are coming behind them, eliminate these exclusive, very restrictive contracts that take away people's ancillary rights and perpetuity, create some transparency so that they have to disclose how much they make on every event. How are you supposed to negotiate your fair value in the marketplace if nobody knows how much money yeah. the promoter just made off the fight you fought in? It's, a, it's amazing. Were you, were you surprised? Because I thought when you did that, we were going to see all these fighters line up behind you. Were you surprised that that didn't happen? I mean, I was doing what I thought was best for me in my career. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't trying to create a movement. Obviously, I, I see and saw then that we need to change some things, but it, it was what it was. Uh, I think now we have to create a fighters association. We have the MMAFA. I've been working with them, lobbying in Congress to get the definition for the Ali Act change to combative sports athlete, not just boxer, and create some of those things that boxers enjoy in their sport for all combative sports athletes. Let's close on these last two things. Uh, what do you have going on in terms of charity coming up, just efforts in general? Uh, salute to service coming up in Nashville, Tennessee here, the 14th, 15th, and 16th. Uh, it'll be a golf tournament with Jared Blake and, and Daryl Worley. Uh, Jared and I wrote a song uh, called The 22 uh, for about four years ago. Daryl Worley fell in love with the song. 
uh, you might remember his song after 9-11, Do You Remember? And, and uh, so he recorded the song that Jared and I wrote. And I think it's finally going to start hitting the radio and coming out and getting some traction, hopefully. But we're going to do a concert there and the golf tournament. And Jared has uh, uh, Live to Be, where he talks to at-risk youth. And, you know, because he, he's had a pretty rough go and, and managed to ride himself and get, you know, come down the road. And so he talks to a lot of at-risk risk youth about their direction their goals where they want to go and, and what they're capable of and uh, so his foundation my foundation and then I, I work a lot with Daryl helping other veterans we take them on a hunt every year we do some other stuff out in out in Ohio so that's coming up 14th 15th 16th in Nashville so you mentioned Randy as kind of a trendsetter and fighting for better pay for fighters the other thing I, I think you've been at the forefront of is talking right athletes and veterans talking discussing and now we're seeing mental health become this gigantic thing across yep. the sports world even in broadcasting because uh, you know i saw last year jay glazer yep. you know came out and was like hey you know what i have i have a lot of great days yeah great jay's jay's done an amazing job with his book unbreakable uh really really proud of him for showing that vulnerability and putting himself out there and obviously he's one of the founding members with nate boyer of, of mvp merging vets and players we're opening up our gyms to any veteran or retired athlete in any sport uh, give these guys a place to go, a place to train, get themselves back in shape, create some camaraderie, bring that locker room back, that squad. Those are the things those two groups of people miss the most, that locker room, their squad, their group of guys. So giving them those like-minded individuals that they can vent to, talk about the things that are going well and things are going bad. And, and uh, you know, some of it is the BA, some of it's PTSD, divorces, all those things. So giving them that outlet. We're in eight cities now in the U.S. We're opening up in Phoenix very shortly with MVP and, and uh, very proud of Jay for everything he's done with Unbreakable. I'm going to mention one last thing because I'm a fight goof sports fan and I get sucked <laughs> in by certain stuff. I got to tell you, I, I, I can see the kid has some skill clearly, but if they actually match up Anderson Silva, and I know Anderson's older, if they match up Anderson Silva and Jake Paul, that's enough. All right, this has got to stop. Someone's got to get in there well, and, and take care of him. And they're, they're, they're pretty diligent with Jake Paul. They're not going to put him in a fight that they don't believe he has a reasonable chance of winning. Uh, it's why he's picking guys with strong wrestling backgrounds and not guys with strong striking backgrounds like Anderson Silva. Right. And we just saw what happened with Anderson with his triller and Vitor Belfort, who's another guy that came from a very strong striking background. I mean, Evander Holyfield, for crying out loud. But, uh, yeah, both of those fights pretty interesting and pretty good. Um, Again, Jake Paul is one of those guys. I'm not a big fan of all the rhetoric and the other stuff, but he is absolutely poking Dana White in the chest <laughs> and shining a light on the disparaging difference between boxing and MMA when it comes to fighter pay. Tyron Woodley, Ben Askren, those guys made more money from those little boxing matches than they've ever made in MMA, and that's the truth. If Jake Paul steps in a cage, does he last longer than James Tony? No, I don't believe he does. <laughs> now, he's a diligent guy, and he's a yeah. strong athletic guy. I don't, I'll give him some credit. I'm not saying he's a pud. He's not. He's, he's got some skills. Yeah. He's definitely got some passion for boxing and MMA, so good for him. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think he'd last any longer. Randy, good to see you. We appreciate you coming down. We're hanging out at Ellis Island, and uh, that was good stuff. Thank good you, stuff. It was, a, it was like old times, huh? We've been doing this for a long time. Good stuff. So hopefully we can do it again in the future. We come back. Front yard here on a Wednesday. Ellis Island Casino, home of 3-2 to two Blackjack, craps 10 times odds, and $5 games. The Steve Sears Summer Tour 2022 continues at Ellis Island Casino in the front yard. 
We are in the front yard. I like that guy's voice, by the way. The power the voice guy. The yard. Leon, yeah. yeah. Steve Sears here with us. The summer tour continues. And now Steve's sweating a little bit because I feel like he's got bosses on both sides. I'm your radio boss. <laughs> I know. So but the, the, these bosses are the important ones. No, but I'm not Real worried important. about you, Cofield, because I take you to Bikini Tug of War. And, and I mean, you, that, you that, do butter me up. Right. So, but no, I, for the first time ever, I, you know, I've been doing radio for, I don't know, 15 years now. Yeah, my supervisors. I mean, this is my, my day job. I've got my name badge on, brother. I mean, <laughs> you know, so yeah, Anna Marie and Christina Ellis. Uh, my supervisors are here to talk about, you know, wh- what was the question you asked me the other day? You said, how in the hell did they, you think of the front yard, right? Yeah, I mean, I come here all the time. I came here all the time. I still come here all the time. But I remember this as being like a small parking lot. And then when I come by and this is all done, the front yard, I'm like, how the hell did they do that? Like, where did the idea come from and how did you max out the space? So Ellis Island, you know, it's been here since 1968. It's, it's a, uh, you know, like a little landmark just off the strip that locals love to come to. But we were seeing a huge group of non-locals wanting to come here and do things like watch sports and have fun and drink our beer, you know, best of Las Vegas for our brewery every year. And so the idea for the for the front yard came to light and um, it just became a place to have fun things to do that we couldn't necessarily do due to space inside of the casino. I think the daughters told dad we need something <laughs> cool for young people. I'm just going to say that because I'm close with Gary. And our uh, world. And, and I think the that young was people. it. Anna, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, we wanted something, an entertainment venue, something to that's new that we didn't have on property. We have karaoke every night, but this was something that we could bring a younger demographic on property as well. Um, you know, we have the stage that we can have live entertainment all the time. Um, microbrewery is breweries are, are picking up everywhere, and and we've had ours since 1997. So. We kind of knew, you know, that craft, and we decided to, to double down and on it. Cofield, a beer, right, you know, that's the second business intersection in the United States at Paris and Bally's and Cromwell is 11 bucks. Here I'm it's well 5 bucks, yeah. right? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I hate every time I go to a strip place, and, you know, which credit card did I bring? Because I'm worried about the bar tab, you know. You have low limits, too. You told me. <laughs> he has real low limits. <laughs> I told you that. It is because I don't want to, I would go too many times to Wet Republic, fall in love, and wake up and have a $4,000 bar tab. I'm not doing that ever again. I bring an envelope and that's it. So, no, so you open the front yard, okay, and so I, I think as, as a local place, but seriously, aren't you more tourists? I mean, what is the ratio? I mean, we have a pretty good mix. We have a very loyal following of, of locals that that are so wonderful to us. And, and to have a space like the front yard and karaoke and the things that we have inside and just opening the, the marketing to more of a non-local crowd. I mean, the tours have been great to us too because everybody wants to go where the locals go. Everybody wants oh. to ask their bartender or their Uber driver or taxi driver, where do you go? Where can I go get you know a cheap steak and eggs breakfast or where can I go get a, a beer that isn't going to break the bank and um, due to you know years of really catering to that local audience more often than not people are going to suggest Ellis Island which is so wonderful you know I walked around the brunch on Saturday and I don't do you TikTok I don't do you Kofi? <laughs> I, I look at TikTok but I need to get up there okay. you need to as well no I know but, uh, but anyway so it was packed and I walk around because I'm a talker yeah. and everyone said oh I heard about it on TikTok yeah right a lot of a younger crowd. We do bottomless mimosas. We have a DJ for brunch. Um, so yeah, it's a it's it's a really fun time here on weekends. Um, and yeah, we just want to make sure everyone feels like a local. So we're going to take a break. Christina and uh, Anna Marie are going to come back with us. Uh, the Ellis folks, the Ellis ladies, my supervisors. Yes, yes. 
Don't get in trouble during the break. No, no, during I During the break, we're going to draw the winner of the Raiders tickets. We'll come back. We'll announce the name, and then we're going to find out more about the front yard, about Ellis Island, maybe a little bit of what's coming up in the next year and a half, and and we will get to the Big Five for the regular Cofield and Company audience. We're like, where's the Big Five? Well, the Big Five's coming up in uh, less than about 10 minutes.